You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Welcome to our live feed this morning. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 55, and I want to uh, be preaching this morning on the pandemic and providence. The pandemic and providence. There's a lot of questions surrounding what we're currently going through with COVID-19, you know, on whether or not God is allowing this or why would God allow it and if he is allowing it, why and why doesn't he stop it? Uh, but I want to try to preach on the pandemic and providence and I want to start by reading in Isaiah chapter number 55 verses 8 and 9 where the Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. I want to begin this morning by making two assertions. Number one, that God is indeed in control. Number two, God is good. Now, the question that many are asking, and I think it's a legitimate question, is that if God is good and God is in control, why do we experience difficulties, evils? Why do we experience pandemics? And in order to answer these questions, we need to learn some things about God, some principles that will help guide and comfort us through whatever we may go through in this life. Number one, consider the person of God. The person of God. Our God is a holy God. That means He's a God without sin. He's a God without error. He's just. That means He always does the right thing. He's an omnipotent God, which just means that He is all-powerful. He's an omniscient God, which means He is all-knowing. And He's an omnipresent God, which means that He is everywhere at once. The Bible says that God is love in 1 John 4, 8. And it says in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, that this love that He has for us is an everlasting love. It had no beginning. It had no end. It's always been. God has never loved you any more or any less. He's just always loved you more than you can imagine. And so His love is an everlasting love. His love is a never-changing love. The Bible says He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, in God's omniscience knowing everything, he is never caught off guard or unprepared. He always has a plan. In the midst of uncertainty, there is one who is in control. There is one to whom we can turn. There is one who holds the world in his hands. God is sovereignly, graciously reigning over the world in the midst of fear and panic. He is not threatened by this pandemic, nor is he surprised. God is not thrown off course by the coronavirus or anything else. As Dr. Harold Seitler used to say, has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? See, God is omnipotent. So someone says, well, why doesn't God just stop all the bad of the world, all the evil of the world, including the coronavirus? 
And one answer to that question we'll see in just a moment is because he has, a, this world is not exactly how God intended for it to be because he, him allowing free will and the consequences of man's choice. But also in God's omniscience, he has a greater plan. In his omnipresence, he has a higher goal. In other words, he's everywhere at once. He's right there where you are right now. But if you do not know him as Savior, listen, he wants more than just to be in your presence. He wants to be in fellowship with you. And it's the same way if you're a child of God that's out of fellowship with God. So God has a higher goal. And this can be different, difficult to understand, but it's important that we understand not only the person of God, but number two, the plan of God. I want to look this morning at four distinct but connected facets of God's will. Number one, the paramount will of God. Number two, the perfect will of God. Number three, the permissive will of God. And then number four, the pursuing will of God. Let's begin with the paramount will of God. And what I mean by that is this, the sovereignty of God's will. Now, the, God's sovereignty is often incorrectly applied and ignorantly assumed, but defined sovereignty means supreme in power, possessing supreme dominion as a sovereign ruler of the universe. When we talk of God's sovereignty, we're talking about the overriding will of Almighty God. Now, this is demonstrated with God's work with the nation of Israel. From the time he called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, all the way through their uh, journeys, and they're going into the promised land, they're going into captivity, uh, their establishment back in the land and as a nation in 1948, to the coming fulfillment of the Palestinian covenant, uh, when they will get the land, and, and, and of the Davidic covenant, when Jesus will sit on the throne of David, the thing about that, that all falls under the umbrella of the sovereign will of God. In other words, there, nobody can stop these things. I mean, this is running on a strict calendar. I mean, listen, the Lord is coming again, amen? And the Bible says no man knows the day nor the hour, but the Bible does say the Father knows the day, He knows the hour. It's marked down, and nobody can stop it. There's nothing anyone can do about this. This is the sovereign will of God. The sovereign will of God usually and, and most often applies to God's work in the nations, God's work in the fulfilling of prophecy. And one way it is never applied is to an individual's salvation. It's never applied to that, to where God overrides a person's will and either determines that they must be saved or that they are not allowed to be saved. That is not taught in the Bible. Uh, but as we consider this, uh, we consider the overriding, the sovereign will of God. But I want to go on from the paramount will of God, the sovereign will of God, to talk about the perfect will of God. Now, let's just go back, continuing to use the nation of Israel as an example. The perfect will of God for Israel. What was it? God said, I'm calling you out. I'm going to make a great nation of you. I'm going to make a nation not for you just to be a great nation that's better than other nations. No. Their purpose was to be a light to the world, to show and to demonstrate what it meant to know and to love the one true God, that there was one God that loved and cared and that could forgive sin and that could restore and that could do, do a work on the inside of man. He wanted them to do that, to be a light to the world, to inherit the land, to have their king come and set up his throne. That was the perfect will of God. Uh, but in the midst of all that, what we find out is God, even in the midst of the, the nation of Israel's progress in the book of Deuteronomy, 
The Lord actually said to the nation of Israel, He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that thou and thy seed may live. See, God chose uh, for them to, His plan, His perfect will was for them to have life and blessing. That's what God wanted for them. That's what God wants for you. But he said, I also set before you death and cursing. But what did he say? The choice is up to you. The choice is up to you. So the perfect will of God is life and blessing. But what if you choose death and cursing? What we see demonstrated in that is the permissive will of God. We see the perfect will of God, but this introduces us to the third facet, and that is the, uh, the, the permissive will of God. In other words, God has so willed in His sovereignty, in His holiness, that He has given man a choice, as we see presented right here in Deuteronomy 30, 19. And as we'll see again in just a moment, See, think about Israel again just for a moment. Israel failed. When we study the history of Israel, they did turn to idolatry. They did turn to whoredoms. They did turn to all these things. Now, was this the perfect will of God? Was this the paramount will of God for them? See, some people would try to uh, indicate that nothing happens unless that's exactly what God wanted to happen. Well, I submit that you, if you study the Bible, you'll find out that's not the case. How do we know that? Because Israel turned to idols. Was that God's will? Absolutely not. How do we know that? Look at the Bible, Exodus 20. What does God say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, he said. So his will was for them not to do this, yet they chose death, they chose cursing. This was not the perfect will of God, but God allowed them to do this. God will allow people to make that choice. And I want you to understand one of the greatest uh, judgments, really, of God, if you will, is when He lets man make their own choice and then live with the consequences. But God wants you to choose life. He wants you to choose blessing. I mean, you, you think about just for a moment, even in the Garden of Eden when God introduced Adam and Eve to this perfect environment, in fellowship, I mean, God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. God wanted them to continue in that fellowship, have their children, raise their family in that garden, in that paradise with the presence of Almighty God. It wasn't His will for them to fall. How do we know that? Because God said, you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but there's one, one that you're not to eat of. But what do we find out? We find out that they ate of that anyway. Matter of fact, I can remember uh, years ago, I, I sat down with a, a hyper-Calvinist uh, brother, friend of mine, and he asked me this question. He was just, he, he, and he was coming to church and he was enjoying the preaching and the teaching, but then he, uh, he was just kind of baffled and he says, we went out to lunch together and he says, I just got to know, where do you get this idea of free will? I mean, he's just like, where'd you get that from? And you know what my answer was? My answer was to him then what it is today, the Bible. Amen? And I said, go to, I said, go, go to the very first mention of people in the Bible. Go to Adam and Eve. And then, of course, I told him that, that same thing. God said yes to all the trees of the garden, 
but no to this one. It was not God's will for them to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it was not God's will for Adam to eat of the tree and plunge all mankind into sin and death. Now listen to me closely because it's important to understand what, uh, what, what the Bible teaches us about this. Why? Because this goes back to the fall of man. The Bible says because of Adam's sin, that sin came upon all men, th therefore all of sin. So why do we sin today? We are not born good and go bad. We are born sinners, therefore we sin. All right, we are sinners by birth, and pretty soon in life we become sinners by choice. And as we grow older and, and, and understand this is when we become accountable for that sin. But uh, the, the fact of the matter is, God, it was not God's will for all mankind to be plunged into sin and death. See, the one thing that Adam, God told Adam not to do is what he did. Now, God is not unjust. Think about what this means. God will not command you to do something or command you not to do something then make you do it, and then judge you for doing it. It's not God's will. So this is what we call the permissive will of God. Now we'll get in just a moment to the, to the question, why in the world would God give us free will? Why would God not, uh, you know, make people do what He says to do? Why would God give us free will? And, uh, and we'll see that in uh, just a moment. But the, the, the fact of the matter is uh, that God introduces the, this choice. Why? Because he wants man to love him. See, here's what we often think in our finite minds. Remember our text verse? My ways are not your ways, the Lord says. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. See, we think this. Wouldn't it have been easier and nicer to create mankind as puppets with no choice but good? I mean, I can get frustrated at free will. I wish I could just always choose to do right. But I don't. Wouldn't it be nice if we were just puppets and had no choice but good? See, God's purpose with mankind is to have eternal fellowship. Okay? Therefore, to create us as just these good robots, I want you to understand something. Creating us as good robots without the potential for the opposite character of evil would not allow for true love. In other words, only love that comes from a free choice is true love. So if God would have just made everybody love him, made everybody do right, that would not be love. It would not be genuine. So voluntary choice is the key. Love isn't genuine if there's no other option. So we may be frustrated with the fact that God gave man free will, but the fact of the nature is there's no other way to have a true relationship with God if, uh, if it's not through free will. So we see the permissive will of God. But here's one thing I want to say to, on the last point, and that's this, the pursuing will of God. The pursuing will of God. This one excites me. Yes, God gave man a free will. Man chooses sin so often. But here's the good news. Uh, the good news is that, that man chooses sin, but God still chooses man. All right? 
Now there's consequences for sin. He said, I set before you this day life, death, blessing, cursing. If you choose death, if you choose to sin, I mean, think about it just for a moment. Uh, we, are, we are welcoming the judgment of God upon our lives. or We're, we're, we're uh, welcoming uh, the consequences of sin. See, God's got, what God wants is for us to choose life and to choose blessing. But if we indeed choose to go down this other road, we're going to experience cursing and death. But the good news is God's willing to go down that road to find you, amen, and save you. How do you know that? Because Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. Hallelujah. He came for us, praise the Lord. So the pursuing will of God. Though man falls, uh, God pursues. Since God is all-knowing, He did know, yes, that Adam and Eve would fall. He, he, there's nothing that catches God by surprise. Therefore, He had a plan. He knew Israel would reject Christ. So he had a plan, the church age. He knew all this. He knew that Adam would fall, but he did not leave him in despair and forsake him. Amen? God gives man free will. Uh, it is God's will for man to choose life and blessing. But if he chooses death and cursing, I'm telling you, God still extends his hand of grace and of mercy. He wants to rescue. His return to set, his return to set things right in the world uh, very soon uh, will involve judging sin. Now, why would God judge sin? Because sin is an absolute cancer of mankind that brings death and despair and separation and so many other things. And so uh, it's not God's will uh, for so many things as we think about the pursuing will of God. I think oftentimes about my personal testimony. I think about uh, the, uh, being raised. I thank God so much for my mom and dad. But they didn't know the Lord when I was a kid. And so uh, they, they were partiers. They were drug users. And so uh, at an early age, that's what I was getting involved in. And that's what I was being brought up in. I mean, listen, that's, that's not the will of God. You can't say it's the will of God. There's some people that have gone through abuse, abusive situations. You know what? That's not the will of God. It's not. But here's the good news. God can have His will even in that. What does that mean? That means this, that God can help restore you. He can help put you back together. He can help you forgive. He can heal you, and then He can use you to help someone else that's been abused, somebody else that's been hurt, somebody else that's gone down the path of drugs and alcohol, somebody else that has been blinded by the deceitfulness of religion. You can, you can uh, use your testimony as an example of what God's grace is able to do. And so whatever the, the need may be, God can have His will in it. And so when we get into times of difficulty, when we get into times of despair, you know, we talk about this social isolation and everything. That's a terrible, uh, <laughs> that sounds awful, doesn't it? And I think that we should, we, we, I guess we need to be somewhat physically isolated, but man, we ought to not be socially isolated, amen? Let's still communicate, amen? Let's still have some social interaction. We don't have to physically be together in order to do that. But let's reach out and do that today. I mean, but sometimes maybe you're in a place right now to where there's, there really is a lot of fear. There's a, real, a lot of uncertainty. But there's, there's even more if you've been depending on 
just on money and not on God, on your career and not on God, on your health and not on God, and God forbid, on the government and not on God. But I'm telling you, and what we, what we do is we get to a sobering place. I mean, you know, one of the things, you know, you know what a lot of people are thinking about right now? Death. When things are going great and good, not a lot of people think about that. But did you know it's not so bad to think about death? You know why? Because you're going to die. And the odds are, so am I. You know why I say the odds are? Because the, st the statistics show that 10 out of 10 people die, right? We all die. And so we need to be prepared for death because we are going to die one day. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. But the greater question is, where will you spend eternity? Because no matter how long we live this life compared to eternity, it's not that much. So now let me close with a couple questions here. Number one, we get back to one of the original questions, and that's this. If God can stop a pandemic, why doesn't he? Now, let's consider that God may choose not to stop this pandemic simply because he cares more about the disease in our hearts than disease in our body. In other words, heart sickness. Think about this. When disaster strikes, we experience suffering and evil. Often we can ask, God, how can you allow this? A common objection, in fact, to the Christian faith is, how can a good God allow so much evil in the world? But I wonder if it's not God's goodness and grace that allows us to see, to experience, and to feel the brokenness of this world to show humanity the true reality of what it really is. It's broken. It seems to me that God is gracious and kind to show us and to allow us to experience this present world in all of its brokenness, evil, and darkness because what that reveals is that there's nothing wrong with God, but there is something wrong with God's creation. It calls us to consider that there must be more. There must be more. See, I'm led to believe that God does not put a sudden stop to COVID-19 pandemic because God is not done revealing the greatness of who He is. Suffering exposes the state of our broken humanity and our great need for a Savior. God allows disease to flood the earth to bring us to our knees, to see His majesty and to share Him with others. So we're going through this right now, and, can we, and we, I think many of us are. Let us use this time as a season, a call to repentance. A call to turn to God. Turn from the vanity of this world. Turn from the temporal things of this world and turn to the eternal God. The everlasting God. If you're here, maybe you're listening and, you're, and you know the Lord. You're saved, but you've got away from the Lord. Listen, look at what's really close. See, God wants you to have a close relationship to Him and the, those that are around you. What we've done in this country for a long time is we've fallen in love with things. 
And we've started thinking that things are more important than people. But I'm telling you, when we see the uncertainty of things, may we be reminded of the importance of relationships, starting with our relationship with God and then our relationship to our loved ones, our friends and neighbors, our church family. You know, when people are on their deathbed, when people are dying, when they're at the end, you find out that relationships are what matter most. I've never had one person say to me in their last moments, could you please go online and pull up my portfolio just one more time so I can see how well my investments have done and how, how much I'm going to get to leave behind. I've not seen that. I've never seen anybody on their deathbed say, could you please just bring my trophies and my accomplishments by one more time. I just want to see them before I go. No. You know what matters most when people are on their deathbed? They say, bring the people that I love. Bring somebody. See, eventually they realize that what matters most is people, relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationship with others. So what does this time do? May it not take us to our deathbeds to realize this. May we take advantage of this time and realize what matters most. See, I believe that people are being reminded of the things that really matter. Also, to be reminded again of the brevity of life and of your own mortality. And I'm going to ask Sonia, she's going to come play softly on the piano. And as she does, I want to just ask you this question today. Do you know Christ as your Savior today? Do you know Him? If not, I want to tell you, you can know Him today. I got great news for you. He knows you. You may feel like God is nowhere near you or hasn't been anywhere near you, but maybe now you sense Him speaking to your heart. I want to tell you something. He loves you. He cares about you. He knows you, and He still loves you and cares about you. How do I know that? Because He went to the cross to die for your sins. He rose again the third day so that you could be justified. I mean, your sins taken away, clear conscience. And if you don't know Him today, I ask you. You see, I still got a lot of questions. I understand that. But do you understand this? Do you understand that you are a sinner, that you have sinned against God? Do you understand that there's a penalty and a payment for that sin? Separation from God here, eternal separation in a lake of fire. But the good news is that Jesus took all that judgment upon himself because it is not his will for you to go there. Talking about the will of God, he's not willing that any should perish. So what you must do today is this. From your heart, would you be willing to call out to the Lord? Bible says, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you be willing today from your heart to say, Dear Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I choose you. I choose forgiveness of sins today. Please be my Lord and be my Savior. Come into my heart and my life. Thank you, Jesus. Did you know if you prayed that prayer from your heart, you can be saved today? Maybe you're listening today and you're a child of God. Well, the songwriter, he wrote the words, prone to wonder. 
The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, Man, I want to do good. I want to do the right thing. But man, I just find myself doing the wrong thing. Maybe you've gotten away from the Lord. Maybe you're guilt-ridden. Maybe you just feel like, oh man, I've just messed up so bad. Let me tell you something. God still values your relationship with Him very, very much. Remember this. He loves you with an everlasting love. He's never loved you any more than He loves you right now. And I'm telling you, He wants you to get your heart right. Would you do that today? As we think about this, as we think about the brevity of life, as we think about the will of God, will you give in to what His will is for your life today? I hope that you've done that. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure and uh, join us back on Wednesday night. We will be having another uh, live service on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. So God bless you, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.